0: the Lord. Appreciate that good singing and a good song. Although I hate that second verse. I'm just going to tell you right now. I hate that second verse. If, if one of you faltered, God is not the only one who's going to care. And if you're carrying a burden, I want you to know right now, you're, he's not the only one who cares about the burden you're carrying. And so I, that, I just don't like that second verse. I'll just be honest with you. I like the song. I love the song. But that second verse, every time it's sung, I just get a little perturbed. It's like, wait a minute, I care. If one of you all falter, I care about that. And uh, if if one of you are carrying a burden and and uh, you need someone to share it, I want to be available. I want you to know I care about that too. Uh, he's not the only one who cares. Now, no one can care like he does. And if they said that, then I'd be okay. But that that hymn writer or uh, and I, when we get to, when I get to heaven, he and I are going to have a talk. <laughs> what do you mean by this? <laughs> but I'm thankful that I'm thankful that when it feels like no one cares, when it feels like we're all alone, when it feels like if we faltered it, it wouldn't matter to anybody else, I'm glad that we can know that we can know that he does care. Amen. I wish to, I wish he would have brought that in there. I wish that's what he would have said. Is when it feels like no one cares. Well, there's my little rant for this morning. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter one. 2 Corinthians chapter one. Do love that song though. I think it's I think it's a good song. Want a closer walk with the Lord. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter one. I suppose that it's interesting how, some of the headings that are in our, in our Bibles. Now those weren't inspired of the Lord, but I'm not reading the whole section here, but my, uh, my Bible tells me that this, is, this section should be entitled, Why Paul Changed His Plans. And I'm not speaking about that at all. <laughs> in fact, I in fact I, I feel like we're we're gonna take a pretty different approach to this section passage. But if i invite you just stand with me for the reading of God's word, first Corinthians or 2nd Corinthians, I'm sorry, second Corinthians chapter one. And I'll be honest, I have a hard time knowing where to break in. But let's start with verse 18, and we'll read down through the rest of the chapter. But as God is true, our word towards you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, Amen unto the glory of God by us. Now he which establishes us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. I want to lift for a text those last four words. By faith ye stand. Father, walk with us for a little while as we explore your truth. As we endeavor to rightly divide your word, that we would, Father, be careful to handle the scriptures in a way that would be honoring and pleasing to you. We pray that you'd open our hearts, that we might walk in it and be faithful and true. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I think it's we're getting into a time that it's getting harder and harder to stand. We all know people who were once a part of the faith who no longer are. There's a lot of things to erode our faith. There are a lot of attacks on who we are and what we believe. In fact, it seems to me that the attacks are constant and they're strong. And I think some of some of us it would be easy for us to despair. And I think some have. Some have. We face challenges from science. They don't need God. We can explain the universe. We can explain how it came about. We can, we can uh, explain how, how uh, 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 you go from nothing into the whole universe. I'm still not convinced they quite have it figured out. I'm just not sure how you get all the stars that are in our universe with just One explosion. I'm just not quite sure. I mean, even if you got all the right stuff in there, I'm just I'm not sure how that works. But science tells us that that they don't need they don't need God. They so we we're, we're attacked from that angle. We're constantly under attack by politicians stay out of the church there's a separation of church and state we don't want your morality we don't want we don't want your uh, opinion in that because you know what the church has no say i think that's kind of an interesting thing it pretty well says that if you if you're a person of faith that you can't have a, an opinion in politics but if you're a person that's not of faith then go ahead and have an opinion that's what they mean by church separation of church and state is, is they just don't want us to have an opinion because they know that, that our opinion doesn't align with their uh, secular ideas, their worldly ideas. So we're, on a, we're attacked from that angle. Perhaps we're attacked by the chur- other churches. You know, a lot of people think we're legalistic. You have a whole bunch of rules that you have to follow. Don't you know, you just once you get saved, that's all there is to it, and you just do what you want? And you're a bunch of legalists. You have all these rules that you have to follow. I'm just going to tell you this this morning, there aren't any rules that I have to follow. There aren't any rules that I have to follow. I just want to. I want to please Him. I don't have to. Whether, and whether someone thinks I'm legalistic or not, I want to be walk carefully and humbly. So we're getting it from all sides. From the church, from politics, from scientists. Just about everyone just has an opinion that we're just not quite it. How do you stand in that situation. How are we going to stand? How are we going to, to keep our faith? How are we going to keep uh, our uh, selves unspotted by the world? How are we gonna stay true when we are constantly under attack? Well, I wanna tell you this morning that this is not the first time the church has faced pressure. In fact, as you go throughout history, Almost all of, the, uh, all of history finds the church under direct attack from outside forces and sometimes internal forces. It just amazes me how we've, even in our church history, we persecute each other. I mean, there have been and Christians who have persecuted and killed other Christians because they didn't believe just like them. This isn't new territory that we're in this morning, and it was true even in the days of Corinth. In fact, we forget how wicked of a city Corinth was. In Paul's day, Corinth was such a wicked, defiled city that they had uh, to, to. If you corrupted a child, if you you know, we, if you were if you were to turn uh, a young person to evil. It, the Greeks would call would say that you Corinthianized them. Well, that's not what you want to be said about your town. Could you imagine if, if, if it, in the news it would it was you ultimized them, you, you corrupted them, you made them evil. That, that would be terrible. But Corinth was known in a worldly sick society as the evil city the bad city i don't know what you think of when you think of bad cities my guess is because it's often in the news probably chicago i mean how many murders do they have in chicago in a given weekend it's crazy i mean when we when i think of bad cities I guess Chicago is the one that comes to mind first. There's some other ones that come to mind too. But it's a city that has corrupt leadership. They've had corrupt police. So many shootings. And this is the environment that a little church has planted. And they've got pressure from the government, like we do. They've got Pressure from the religious people, the Judaizers, and, and those that would follow the old gods. They got pressure there. I mean, they are facing a lot of pressure as just a little church, and they've got pressure from within. They've got, they've got a controversy in this church. That's, that If you go back to 1 Corinthians, they've got a controversy going on because they've got, they've got a guy who's taken his father's wife. And now they don't know what to do with it. The church has always had to deal with issues from outside and inside. And Paul says, by faith ye stand. By faith ye stand. Now, I believe Paul in this passage gives us three distinct things that we can put our faith in to help us to stand. And the first one he gives us is the promises of God. We can, uh, by faith in the promises of God, we stand. Christine Poole wrote a book on Christian community and in that book she says that communities, whether it's family, whether it's church, whether it's a town, whether it's a country, they are all founded, they are all uh, made possible by promise-making, not promise-keeping, but promise-making. And as I, as I was reading that book, I, I, was, I was surprised that she would make such a statement. I would have assumed that community is possible because of promise-keeping, not promise-making. But she made some interesting points. Almost every relationship starts with a promise being made. Every, almost every relationship starts with a promise being made. Think about when you're, uh, you started a new job. You, you went in for the interview. And this is what's basically happening. They're asking, the boss is asking you, to make promises as to you, who you will be, what your character will be on the job site, how you will work, what, are, what talents that you will provide to the company. They're asking you to make promises about what you are going to do as an employee for the, that company. And guess what else? The, the boss is making promises to you. This is what your salary will be. We will pay you on time. These are your benefits. The, uh, we, this is the kind of work environment that we try to cultivate here. And they make certain amount of promises to you at the interview, at the time of hire. And when you accept that job, there is a relationship that has been made based on the promises that you have made one to the other. And if you like your job, it is because they kept their promises. And if you hate your job, it's because they didn't keep their promises. Unless you took a job that you just didn't want because you just needed to pay the bills. But for most, for most of the time, most of the situation is they kept their promises, you've kept your promises, and that has kept the relationship running smoothly. Remember, last july when when i came and did the trial sermon you all asked me a lot of questions and this is what you were doing you're saying make us some promises make us some promises what kind of preacher are you, are you going to preach the truth or are you going to tell us what we want to hear what, what, what do you bring to the table? What are your talents? What are your abilities? What's your personality? Uh, or is this something that's going, going to work? And I had to make some promises. Now, I, I didn't say I promise, but it was promises. This is what you'll get if you call me to be your pastor. And you made me some Promises. You said that you'd provide for us a, uh, uh, an offering. You said that you would provide for us a parsonage. You said that you would you would ha- try to meet our needs. And here's the thing: whether this is a it, whether you like me as a pastor or don't like me as a pastor comes down to whether you believe I kept my promises or not. Now, some of those things. Now, now let me just back up just a little bit. You may have had expectations because other pastors perhaps have done things that you didn't ask me and I never promised but you assumed came because I said I would be your pastor. And that's where things can get very very difficult in in, in relationship with in, in any relationship is when you make assumptions of promises and they're not keeping them, and you can't understand why because you assumed that they were making that promise just by their acceptance. This works in, this works in every relationship. You go, you go to dating. When you, when you start dating a person, there is an, a promise that you're not going to be dating other people at the same time. For some reason, girls don't like it when the guy has two or three or four girls that he's dating at the same time. She has the, exum- the assumption that the date uh, that if you're dating, if you've got two or three dates in that this is exclusive. Nowadays young people have got things so messed up they've got to officially pay, make promises that they're exclusive. And then uh, you get to the place of engagement and what are you doing? You're promising that you're going to marry them someday to go ahead and start spending money on the, Uh, uh, on the wedding and and preparing to, to make two into one. Combine your households and there's promises that are made at the engagement. And at the wedding, there's promises that are made, aren't there? There are vows that we make. And what is this? We're building relationships based on the promises we've made. And whether the marriage is successful or not comes down to whether or not we feel the other person has kept their promises. I think that's very important for us to, to understand. If there are troubles in our marriages, it may be because we believe that promises that were made or we thought were being made are not being fulfilled. That's why we need to talk about those things. Paul says that when we came to you to preach, he said we preached about the promises of God, And God made some promises to the church. God's made you some promises. And it was based on those promises that we could even enter into a salvation relationship with Him. He promised to save us if we'd meet the conditions, He promised to sanctify us if we kept, if we met the conditions. He promised to to never leave us nor forsake us. He's promised to answer our prayers. And as we have walked with God, those of you that have served God for uh, a length of time, when the storms come, you can point back to God made these certain promises to me and he's kept them in the past and I believe he's going to continue to keep his promises. And even though the world around us is shaking, even though it seems like the, the, the world is falling apart, even though it seems like everyone's attacking uh, the foundation of our faith, we can rest assured in the knowledge that God has kept all of His promises here to date and that He will continue to keep those promises no matter if the mountains be cast into the sea. And this helps us to stand. Helps us to stand. It's because we know that He not only has made promises, but He's kept them. You can't have a relationship without promises being made. I know some people say, I don't make promises so that you can't hold me to them. Folks, you don't have a relationship with that person. If you don't have a promise... If you've not made some promises, you don't have relationship. Now, folks, I understand in, our, in human relationships we can we can uh, fail to keep our promises. Sometimes things happen that are outside of our control. You know we can t- oh, we can promise the kids Saturday we're going to go to the park, and it rains on Saturday, and we have no power over the rain. We can we can forget this last. Uh, winter, spring time, I had made a promise to, to Eliana that couldn't be fulfilled right away, and I forgot all about it. I know, isn't that awful? And she reminded me. And I was very glad she did. Because you know, it would have been a terrible thing for her to hold that in her heart for the rest of her life. Daddy made a promise and didn't keep it. Be, and I know some people that have done that. The people have made them promises. And you'd say, have you say, did you talk to them? Have you, did you remind them of their promise? Did you remind them of their, what, they, what their word was? Well, no, they should remember If it was important to them, they would, uh, they would remember. That's not necessarily true. It was important to me. And when she reminded me, I made it an, uh, a concerted effort to meet that promise as quickly as possible so that it could not be forgotten a second time. It was important to me. It was important to me. Just because I forgot didn't mean it was important. It just means that we're human. We're human. But one of the great things about God is it never rains on His promises. And He never forgets to keep His promises. He is the only one who can make a promise that cannot be broken. We, we have to ask for forgiveness. I'm sorry, I, I broke my promise. I didn't mean to. Situations happened outside of my control. I hope you understand. I hope you can forgive me. But God never has to do that. When God makes a promise, it is as sure a thing as there is. And by faith, we stand the promises of God. Secondly, I would notice that, that Paul would tell us that we can stand uh, by faith, we can stand on the anointing of God, the anointing of God. Now, we have a, a little bit of a harder time, I think, understanding this than they did in, 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 in the old times. But you remember when, when Saul and, and, and David and, and others that were going to be king, that They were anointed by the prophet. Samuel anointed Saul for the kingship, and and, and, uh, David was anointed for kingship. The priest, different of the priest, had been anointed, especially the high priest was anointed for that position and that role. And we don't really do that anointing anymore. Maybe we should have uh, taken uh, the oil uh, uh, when uh, Petersons were leaving and just doused them real good. I don't know that they would have appreciated it. We don't do things that way anymore. But what that anointing symbolized was that God was going to help them with whatever God had called them to do. This was the uh, the, the down payment, the, the promise, the, whatever you want to call it, but this was symbolic that God was going to help them fulfill their calling. You say, wait a minute, preacher, I don't have a calling. Yes, you do. <laughs> oh, yes, you do. We're a royal priesthood, Peter tells us. We all are part of the priesthood of God. Every one of us stands in responsibility to our families, to our communities, to our uh, state, to our nation, to be priests for those that we can serve. You say, well, how does this work out? What are you, what are you talking about with this anointing? How does this work out? How do we, how do we stand? What, what, what are you, what? How do you stand by this anointing? Well, how, this is how. When you're asked a question at work about your faith and your first response is, I don't know, and suddenly you feel the Holy Spirit giving you the words that you need to say, you stand. You don't run away in fear. You don't say, oh, I I don't want to talk about that today. Something happens when you are anointed of God that's when in that moment you've got words that you wouldn't have otherwise. You know, I find it interesting, people say, that they, they, they rehearse and rehearse and rehearse what they're going to say. And then when it happens, all the rehearsing goes out the window and the Holy Spirit just takes over. It's not by our wisdom and it's not by our might that we can do what God has called us to do. It's why I think everybody who's served the Lord for, for uh, any length of time ought to teach a Sunday school class. Because I know good and well that you don't think you can do it. And then all of a sudden you start teaching and the Lord anoints you for that task. And suddenly you're teaching a class. And it's going well. Because the anointing of the Lord has come upon you to do what he's called you to do. Oh folks, I, this, I think this is one that we overlook a lot. I really think we overlook it. If we're going to stand in this world, we're going to have to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit to help us to know what to say and when to say it and when not to say it. There's a lot of people who have got a lot of things to say that say it at the wrong time. You know, the, a funeral is not the place to say, you know, you're never going to see your mom again. Unless you get right. That's not the time to say that. I've heard pre- preachers do that at funerals. When it especially comes to mind. There's a time and a place. There's time for wisdom. There's always time for wisdom. But there's a time when we say things and a time we don't. And, and, and as we, uh, I remember especially in that funeral, I thought, where's the anointing? Where's the anointing? You know, there's some people that have got a lot of ability and a lot of talent. They can, they can, sing, they can sing specials, and wow, they're just, they just have it. And you know, I've heard some people that can't sing hardly to save their life, but the Lord comes when they sing. You know, they, they would never be able to put a CD out and sell it, except for maybe among our crowd, just because we might feel sorry for them, or we just like the spirit that they sing it in. They never could make it on the road. And yet, when they're going to sing, it's something to look forward to because they've got a spirit. You know, there's, been, there's some preachers that can't preach if their life depended on it. No talent. No ability. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they, I mean, there's just something about it. You just are caught up in the message. And the Lord just anoints that that pastor or that evangelist, and all of a sudden you're saying, "Wait a minute! That was way beyond his abilities. That's way beyond his talent. What happened?" He was anointed. He was anointed. Well, oh, that God would anoint His people once again, even in the little things that we do. Brother Bob, when you clean the church, that you'd feel the anointing. Vaughn, that when you're decorating, that you'd feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit and our Sunday school teachers, when they stand before their class and that week was a crazy, insane week and you just didn't get the study in, that in the preparation that you like to have, and you feel the anointing, come on you, God knows and he recognizes that it, that it wasn't that you were lazy or procrastinating, but just. That week was just what it was, and, and you feel the anointing of God on you. For that Sunday school class and, and people are don't, they don't know you didn't prepare that week. They don't know the week you had. All they know is that, that God met with them in that Sunday school class. And our special singers feel the anointing when they sing. And our song leaders, that they pick out the songs and the anointing of of the Holy Spirit on our song service. Folks, if we're going to stand, we're going to have to have the anointing of God in all that we do. There's, You know, folks, if we don't have the anointing on our services and the anointing on our lives, then we're just playing church. And folks, you wonder why. You wonder why some of our churches are dwindling. I believe it's right here. We have neglected the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our services so much so that we don't have anything to offer. The other churches offer entertainment, the other churches offer an easier way. The other churches offer her, uh, 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 fun and games and, and, and get-togethers, and, and they got all these programs and all these things, and I'm not saying they're all bad, but what I'm trying to say is we have staked the future of this church on the anointing of God. That is what we, what we are all about. That is what separates us, in all, at least in our minds, from the churches uh, around the, the, the community. Is that we would have the anointing of God in our preaching, in our singing, in our prayers, and in, in, in every aspect of our church, that we would have God's holy anointing on it. And if we don't have that, folks, we don't have anything to offer. Sorry to get riled up this morning. It's what we've staked the future of this church on. And this is what we have. We have this promise that God will give us the anointing if we are in a position to receive it. But if we're not, our words, our music, are relics of the past. And maybe that'll help with uh, some old people who like tradition. Maybe that'll keep around some, some old timers that, that, that like the songs they used to sing when they were kids. But it's not going to appeal to a dying world. And it's not going to appeal to those that that's not their tradition. If We don't have the anointing. We don't have anything to offer. Paul says that our faith, we stand by faith. Of the promises of God, by the anointing of God. But finally, I would suggest the ownership of God. What's he say? He says, He has sealed us. When a, when a king or a, a wealthy individual was going to send a letter, or maybe a, the king was going to make a proclamation, They would melt the wax and they would take their signet ring and they would seal that. And it was a a signature, it was proof that this word came from the king. Remember, if you go back to the book of Esther, and Haman wanted to make decrees and laws. And what did the king do? He took off his signet ring and he said, you speak for me. Now, Haman misused that and it cost him his life. But everything that Haman sealed, it wasn't Haman's power. It wasn't Haman's words. It was the king's. And if you remember when they were trying to fix it at the end, the king says, there's nothing I can do. It's a, it holds my seal. Holds my seal. It was my words. Even though they weren't the wor- my words, even though this was not my intention, even though this is not what I wanted, because it bore my seal, they are mine. And Paul says that each one of us that are serving him today, we bear the seal of God. He owns us. Now how does that help you stand? Well, I've got good news for you. God is not like some of our children who don't take care of their toys. He is one who takes care of his property. He is like that, the, that individual that, that is always out there waxing and polishing their car. I mean, they've got so much wax on that thing you' don't, there's no way that the paint's ever going to fade. I mean they got six pounds of wax. I mean they, I mean you just, get, man, you got to get a chisel to get to the car. He's like the, the housewife who doesn't allow there to be any dust mites under the bed and there's no cobwebs in the corners. I mean, if they get laid up, oh, the poor husband who cannot meet her exacting standards because she is taking care of that which is hers. Or maybe a better illustration is when you bring home that newborn baby. I remember holding Dennis for the first time, looking into his eyes and realizing, I can mess this kid up. I have the power to mess this kid up. In fact, I'm probably going to, as flawed as I am. And I remember the weight of responsibility, and all of a sudden, you know, I care about making sure his head is propped up properly, and that we have the right car seats, and and you know how uh, that we pay attention to the uh, to the people that told us how to install the car seats, and you know, you know, because we didn't want anything to happen, and you know uh, the late nights of walking the floor. Because the first one's always got to have colic, it seems like. And f- suddenly you found that every moment that you were awake and even the moments that you were asleep, that all your attention is on taking care of that which bears your seal. And dads you got up at early before the crack of dawn to go to jobs to make sure that, that there was food on the table and clothes and that that child had everything that they needed. And moms, you got up in the middle of the night and fed that squawking kid and changed diapers. And you put your focus and your attention on taking care of that which bore your seal. What Paul is trying to help us to understand this morning is that God has put his seal on each one of us. That he has taken that same kind of ownership. In fact, he says, can a mother forget her nursing child? Yea, she might forget. And you wonder, how could she forget? And then you hear about these parents who have left their kids in hot cars. And your just heart just breaks for them and the whole situation But God continues, he says, but I can't forget. A mother might forget her nursing child, but I can't. Forget forget you. Mm -hmm. I can't. And while you're facing the onslaught, when you're facing the attacks of the enemy, when you're facing temptation, when you're facing battles, when you're facing situations that you don't understand and you can't comprehend, I want you to to stand because you have faith in the seal of God on your life. You belong to Him, and He's going to take care of you. I'm not saying it's going to be easy to stand. I'm not saying that that we're not going to face challenges. I'm not saying that that the enemy is not going to fight us. But I want us to know this morning that God has given us all that we have need of to stand in this present age. And in whatever we face, God has given us all that we need to stand. So let's stand together.